if we look at all the pillars, mice live longer, they have a low-protein diet. But mice don't like to have a low-protein diet when they're older. In people, our own work, if they have a low-protein diet and they move into a moderate-protein diet when they get older, they do very, they do the best. In general, uh, if you look at all the pillars, you conclude in, 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 in not just our epidemiological studies, also lots of work from Harvard, for example, looking at uh, people on a, on a low-carb diet, uh, especially if it's not plant-based, they tend to do worse or much worse than people on a, on a high-carb diet. So, uh, yeah, so if you put it all together, including the centenarians, again, never met one that was on a low-carb diet, you you go with the, with the high-carb diet, mostly plant-based, low sugar, you know, relatively low starch. Hey there, friends. Welcome to the Happy Habit Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew. In this space, we like to talk health and well-being every Monday and Thursday. We're up to episode number 351 now. Oh, and while you're there, did you know we have a Happy Habit Podcast YouTube channel now? Yes, you can see and hear the interviews I've been doing in recent weeks over there if you'd like to subscribe and you'll get some clips of recent interviews and upcoming interviews on the Happy Habit Podcast Instagram channel too. Either way, no matter how you consume this content, please do like, subscribe, share and do leave the podcast a positive review as many of you have done in recent weeks because it definitely helps to spread the message of what we're trying to do here far and wide. And if you've already done so, thank you so much. If you've not, please do. It'll take you two seconds and it's absolutely free. Now, nutrition is at the heart of everything in science. The science of fasting, the science of nutrition, longevity and disease prevention are subjects that concern Dr. Walter Longo. He is one of the world's leading researchers in this field. He was named as one of the 50 most influential people in healthcare in Time magazine in 2018. Dr. Longo is a professor in gerontology and biological sciences at the University of Southern California. He's also the director of the Longevity Institute at USC, as well as the director of the Longevity and Cancer Program at the IFOM Institute in Milan. He is also the author of the international bestseller, The Longevity Diet, all profits of which he donates to his research and foundation. And he's the creator of the Fast Mimicking Diet, which we'll hear all about in this episode. We'll also learn how studies in yeast and mice are teaching us about ageing and longevity in humans. We'll discover the latest research on fasting. We hear about the five pillars of longevity. We explore various fasting strategies. We discover whether a low-carb diet is better than a high-carb diet. And we discover what impact protein has on us as we get older. We also explore the importance of education at a time when misinformation can be overwhelming to the discussion of ageing and longevity. It was a real privilege to talk to one of the titans of science, Dr. Walter Longo. Hopefully you enjoy this interview just as much as I did. 
Well, Dr. Walter Longo, thank you so much for making time to join me on the podcast today. For a long time, your areas of interest have been metabolism and longevity. Initially, you started your research in humans and in mice, and then you moved to study yeast. And a lot of people at the time thought you were crazy. Why yeast? Was it because it's such a simple organism to study and it has a rapid life cycle? And and what did you find? Yes, yeast, uh, because uh, at the time in the early 90s, there was not a single gene known to control aging. So really aging was a, a lot of ideas, right? Everybody had a different opinion. And could you could you control it? Could you not control it? And so I think uh, that different people, maybe six, maybe t- around 10 groups, uh, uh, some went to worms, uh, some went to fruit flies, and, and a few of us went to yeast. Uh, and yeast was the simplest of all of them. And so it's a unicellular organism uh, with only about 6,000 uh, genes. And so it was very easy to manipulate genetically. And so you could just ask the question, which gene can make this simple organism live longer or a lot longer? Eventually, we were able to do two mutations, so affect two genes and cause a tenfold lifespan extension by uh, the two gene genetic mutation plus fasting, right? So fasting is even 30 years ago was at the center of, of making all kinds of organisms uh, that we study live longer, both bacteria and, and yeast. And uh, yeah, so then um, then we we stuck with uh, with focus on, on, on fasting in addition to the genetics of aging. And when you say fasting, was this the blocking of the sugar pathway, its access to sugar? Well, I mean, so we, we blocked the sugar pathway, the RAS, what's called RAS in, in yeast, and we blocked the TOR cyscanate pathway, which we, we uh, is the amino acid, the protein pathway. And then we starve them on top of it, right? So so we did all three. But if you just did the block the sugar and the protein pathway, you get about a five-fold lifespan extension. Uh, but if you did that plus the fasting, then you get a tenfold lifespan extension, right? So interesting. That means that there's still other pathways which haven't been identified that mediate. Uh, so fasting goes partially through these two pathways, but also partially through other pathways. And with fasting, you see similar effects in mice, but it's it's not a linear progression as far as longevity is concerned. Uh, yes. So in, in mice, uh, we, we see lifespan extension, but especially we see health span extension. So the mice live longer but they're much healthier. We saw a major reduction in inflammatory diseases, in, in cancer, um, also improvements in uh, cognitive decline. So they seem to be uh, doing better, both with the normal mice and with the Alzheimer mice. Um, they seem to be healthier, uh, longer or much longer. I've heard you say that obesity and smoking are major risk factors for disease, but they are way, way overshadowed by aging as a risk factor for disease. So targeting aging as a driver of disease is the really most important thing for you. Yes, I always at the beginning of my talks, I always show the the slide uh, from the CDC and basically showing smoking and uh, uh, and obesity is the top risk factors for uh, cardiovascular disease, Alzheimer, cancer. And then I show 30 years of aging, right? The, and they almost disappear uh, as a risk factor. The, the 30 years of aging is so much bigger as a risk factor that uh, even smoking uh, nearly disappears. Yeah. 
And why do you think ageing is ignored? It seems to be certainly ignored and overshadowed, as we said there, by, by smoking and by obesity. Why do you think it doesn't make up a bigger part of that conversation? Um, I think that traditionally we didn't think we could do anything about ageing. And, uh, and also medical schools, I always say medical schools should start and end with a, a course on healthy longevity, but they don't. And um, so, yeah, so I think the training of, of physicians and most healthcare professional is focused on sick care and wait until somebody's sick and then, uh, and then lots of interventions uh, on the sick people. And yeah, so then aging is not really viewed as uh, relevant, you know, because in that, in that model where somebody has diabetes and then you give, them, give this person lots of drugs, or the cancer and you give them immunotherapy, chemotherapy. So why would you worry about aging, right? So yeah, so that I would say the great majority of the healthcare is focusing on that um, wait until it's got a, somebody's got a problem and then intervene. And in that case, yes, aging doesn't really matter that much, right? So. In your talks, you often mention the five pillars of longevity with respect to humans. Can you just go through those uh, for the listeners now? Yeah, so I think that the surprise, uh, as I listen to lots of people with podcasts and some of them, you know, having millions of followers, uh, the surprise is that um, a lot of them will, will focus maybe on one pillar, let's say like epidemiological data. And within that pillar, then, you know, the, the epidemiological data that is most convenient for whatever agenda they might have. You know, some people may say, well, I love meat. And so... Uh, I'm just gonna pick the the, the papers that um, that support me, and uh, and so I think that that's one pillar, right? Epidemiological studies are one pillar. So big population. What happens? People eat a lot of meat, and people or people that eat a lot of protein versus the people that they eat low protein diet, and uh, but that's uh, that's not enough. It's just uh, you know one of the the five pillars, and and the other ones are, for example. A basic research on aging. So what about a mouse? What if you give a mouse a low protein diet versus a high protein diet? What about a rat? So basic research focus on longevity. Another pillar is uh, clinical studies, randomized clinical studies. So if you take two groups and uh, and you give one high proteins and one low protein, what happens after two weeks, right? So what happens is a lot, right? So you see big difference in IGF-1, lots of other markers. And then another key pillar is centenarians, right? So a lot of people talk about ketogenic diet and a lot of people talk about low-carb diet, but I always say I've never seen, a, I've never met a centenarian on a, on a, on a low-carb diet. So um, that doesn't mean that a low-carb diet could not be very beneficial, but we just don't know, right? So, uh, so then you sort of have to go with, so I met uh, hundreds of centenarians and, and they're all on a high-carb diet. And uh, so... Okay, well, the epidemiological data supports the high carb diet being the best for longevity, and um, you know not to be confused with the high sugar or high starch diet, but certainly a high carb diet. And uh, yeah, so that that's I think the the approach that we should take. Uh, uh, and then the fifth pillar is complex system like planes and cars. But uh, usually I talk less less about that because it's, it's less validated by by science, but I think it's an important pillar. So others are, others are car age. Um, what's the best way to keep a car running in? I like that because we build the car and um, and we know each component and we know what's wrong with each component after you know, you've been driving it 
300,000 miles. Uh, so I, I like that. I like this reductionist uh, or, or certainly um, uh, we build that we understand that in each detail. So that makes the aging process in that system, even though it is, is a machine, but it makes the aging process much easier to, uh, uh, it makes it very clear what it is that made the car stop running, right? So, or, or made the tires wear out. And, and uh, yeah, so I think uh, I also like that and that other people don't, are not as, uh, as enthusiastic about my fifth, fifth pillar. You mentioned protein there a couple of minutes ago. You're not a fan of a low-carb, high-protein diet. You reckon that's not good for you at all? Yeah, so again, uh, if we look at all the pillars, um, mice live longer if they have a low-protein diet. But mice don't like to have a low-protein diet when they're older, right? And people, our own work, um, if they have a low-protein diet and they move into a moderate-protein diet when they get older, they do very they do the best. Um, and then proteins control uh, at least one of the major or several of the major IGF-1. They control TOR signaling. So, um, yeah, so I think in general, uh, if you look at all the pillars um, and um, you conclude, and, and, and not just our epidemiological study, uh, studies, also lots of work from Harvard, for example, looking at... Uh, people on a, on a low-carb diet, uh, especially if it's not plant-based, they tend to do worse or much worse than people on a, on a high-carb diet. So, uh, yeah, so if you put it all together, including the centenarians, uh, um, again, you know, never met one that was on a low-carb diet. Um, you you go with the, with the high-carb diet, mostly plant-based, uh, uh, low sugar, uh, you know, relatively low starch, uh, that seems to be, it, 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 even the people that are fans of the low-carb diet, they will admit that's probably not so bad, right? Uh, yeah, and that's really what we're trying to achieve. Say, could this be as good as what you think the low-carb diet may achieve, right? And say so most of them will say yes, but now in in our in, in my case, when I talk about the longevity diet, and I say it does not have the risk that you know I we already have. 50 years of data on this. And so we're really de-risking the, the recommendations. Um, whereas, you know, in the low carb, in the ketogenic diet domain, uh, there's still a lot of uncertainty with lots of data suggesting they'll make you live shorter and not longer. Yeah, there seems to be confusion, certainly with people out there who aren't scientists, who are confused between, let's say, the, the high-protein diet, the high-carb diet, and then you made the distinction between the high-carb diet and the excess-carb diet, which is reliant on sugar. Is it the case, then, that sugar helps to accelerate the aging process? Because there was a relationship there I've heard you talk about before between sugar and cancer and sugar and aging. Yes, but it's very complicated because one thing is to think about a simple organism where sugar directly uh, connects with the pro-aging genes. And one thing is to think about a human being where sugar is highly regulated. And uh, and so you could have um, lots of sugar, but not necessarily lots of sugar-dependent signaling, right? Uh, but you could, you could, and you could, but not necessary, right? So then it's really a matter of insulin and IGF-1 and TOR and, and lots of the signaling. So what is that sugar? So if you took on lots of sugar, 
um, how long, you know, what is the effect of that sugar on insulin resistance, insulin sensitivity, et cetera, et cetera. What is it on the signaling molecules? So it gets pretty complex, but I think in general, um, and then you have to think about age specific uh, use and importance. So sugar may actually be very important to an 83 year old as an infection, right? And, you know, somebody has got COVID and it may be that the difference between life and death could be, do you have enough sugar uh, to support some immune system uh, expansion to fight the, the virus, right? So I'm speculating here, but, but, but this is pretty clear that, and we also saw with proteins, as you get older, a, a few extra pounds, maybe higher sugar levels, higher protein levels could actually be helpful to you, right? So, and I know it sounds confusing, but, but that's the way it is, right? So we cannot, uh, like I always say, you cannot lose the the uh, the keys in the dark and go look for them in the light, right? Uh, so I'm it's, I'm sorry, it's in the dark. You, if you want to find them, you, you, know, you gotta look in the dark, right? So figure out how to look in the dark. And unfortunately, people, you know, it's too complicated. I mean, oh, we're now up and down in sugars and carbohydrates and starches. Yeah, well, you know, guess what? Nutrition is uh, is, is one of the most complex uh, uh, fields out there, and, and people, it's not about carrots. Uh, so I think that uh, the future um, is going to be a, a progressively more respected field because it's so central to to life and, and health. And indeed, central to that study is looking at people like the Okinawans and the Calabrians and Sardinia, uh, where you have the highest percentage of uh, centenarians in the world. What does their diet look like that we might be able to emulate in order to uh, live as long as they're living? Yeah. Well, by the way, uh, I think it's important whether it's Sardinia or, or Calabria or, or Okinawa, it's important to point out that um, a lot of the times it's very specific areas, right? The the where there's probably a combination of genetics and lifestyle right so they have the right genes and then and that's why you see some villages in sardinia uh, and, and lots of other places right so but but in general historically at least the 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 nutrition seem to be uh, the perfect one especially in their adulthood right where they had uh, lots of beans and lots of vegetables that's all they they, they, they just ate what they could grow in their backyard and um, and then um, uh, yeah, so then what their diet forced them to be on a low protein, and it forced them to be on a high vegetable, and it forced them to be on a relatively low sugar because sugar was was expensive, right? Even bread was expensive, and thought to be thought to centenarians that were in the war, and they would say for years and years and years, even bread uh, was something that we would not get very much of. You know? So um, yeah, so they were forced to to eat uh, a low starch, low sugar high vegetable, high bean diet. And, um, but then eventually as they moved to their seventies, eighties and nineties, many of them moved in with their sons and daughters, right? And, uh, and so we suspected this uh, very poor diet, very restricted diet followed by a very rich diet later was in fact this phenomenon in Okinawa and Sardinia and lots of places around the world. It, it led to this longevity record phenomenon uh, because it was like a perfect historical moment to have starvation followed by fairly rich diet when you get very old. You know. 
In recent years, there's been a huge increase in interest in fasting, be it intermittent fasting or time-restricted eating or the 5-2 diet. And uh, I, I know you're a proponent of the fasting mimicking diet uh, and you believe that is the best. Can you tell us uh, what you what your thoughts are on, on fasting, first of all, and then in that context, to give us more details on the fasting mimicking diet? Yeah, so... I was a student at Roy Walford back in the early 90s, and Roy was the, the sort of leading, the most famous person in the planet for nutrition and age, right? And um, and so, and he was working on something called calorie restriction, and calorie restriction is just, what happens if you eat the same diet that you want to eat, it may be a Western diet, but you eat 25% less, right? And, um, I, but from those days, even though Walford was more pushing for a vegan, or so Walford was combining two things. But from those days, I, I think that to me, I saw that it's, this is never going to happen, right? So I say people have a hard time if they drink four coffees a day, go from four coffees a day to three coffees a day, right? So revolutionizing the nutrition of, of a person, especially if it's calorie restricted, restriction is never going to work, you know, even if it did work. So, yeah, so the fasting making that is really maybe 20 years of work by, by my laboratories uh, in both in Italy and, and in Los Angeles, looking for, can we come up with something that people can actually do? It's not invasive enough to, to you know, impose a lifestyle change, even though, of course, you want people to eat better and, and all that. And so, yeah, so then the, the idea was, well, what if we do uh, something the last five days? And, and and to the body, and the body responds to it as if it was water-only fasting. And so all these markers that we talked about, IGF-1 and TOR and insulin and glucose and ketone bodies, they move uh, in the same uh, way that they would move if they were just not eating at all. And so that's a fasting-mimicking diet. It's a low-carb, I mean, a low-sugar uh, high fat, low protein, low calorie, um, five days uh, vegan, uh, vegan diet. And um, yeah, so then we started um, uh, doing lots of trials. Now there's probably over, you know, 25, 30 trials that have been done with the fasting making diet for cancer, for diabetes, for you know, healthy people, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, and the idea was just that, right? So what if we maybe once a month to once every four months, we give a person this FMD, uh, what happens and, you know, and the results, especially for, I think, diabetes, pre-diabetes, metabolic syndrome, and cardiovascular risk factor. Now there's maybe like 10 trials that have addressed this. It's pretty consistent, right? It's, it's just reducing LDL. It's not really affecting HDL. It's reducing A1C. It's reducing abdominal fat. It's not touching lean body mass. So the muscle are protected. Um, and uh, is reducing blood pressure. Uh, so yeah, so it's it's really uh, even though you do it once, maybe every one to three months. Uh, that's what we've covered so far in clinical trials. They seems to be going after all these all these things that are evidence of the body becoming more dysfunctional uh, with age. And so yeah, so I think that uh, we probably got it right at least for cardiometabolic diseases. Uh, we'll see for cancer, but even the cancer part and autoimmunities and cognitive, uh, it's looking promising. But I mean, we're we're not at the same stage as we are for the for uh, you know cardiometabolic. And these uh, the fasting mimicking diets are these comprising of of whole foods, or do they incorporate supplementation also? 
it's it, it we really view it as a medicine right it's a medicine that to uh, the person means a soup a bar made of certain nuts uh, certain vegetables but, but really we're trying to make it as as feasible for people as reasonably close to their you know to a normal five days of a say of a vegan diet as we can right uh, but it's very standardized, right? Very standardized because we want to always get the same ingredients in there. And um, and so, for example, some people complain about, oh, but my, because there are starches in there and, and we don't want purposely, I designed it so that ketone bodies don't get too high and then too low. I don't want people to go to this yo-yo, very high ketone bodies, very low, because I'm worried, right? What will happen after 200 times or 100 times that you do very high ketone bodies, very low, right? So, so I, I I rather compress it, be much safer, and um, and that's what the the fasting vegan diet is trying to achieve. And the other thing, people come and say, oh, but I get a sugar spike after certain soups, and but we're saying maybe that sugar spike is helping you protect your muscle. We don't know for sure. We know it's in, in now a number of trials. The muscle are protected, and the A1C drops dramatically, right? So it's working. And so we're having a hard time sometimes explaining to people, you have to keep it standardized, always the same, because, and this was somebody from the FDA, a former director that told me, it's like, you think you know what's working in your diet, but you don't know, right? You you really, this is why the FDA makes you standardize it because, you know, you have an opinion and what if your opinion is wrong? What if you think it's, this is causing the, the, the effect of the fasting making diet, but it happens to be, that the the worst thing in it, like the starches, are some of the most important factors in dropping A1C and in uh, uh, in protecting your muscle, right? So yeah, so the, we gotta go with the standardization, and um, yeah, that's why it's not whole foods. It, it's it's um, you know dried uh, uh, soups, but we try to make it as as uh, uh, or the company tries to make it as tasty as possible, and um, and uh, but we're trying to make it as standardized as possible. I have engaged in intermittent fasting on and off for a period of time now. So there are a couple of days a week where I don't have breakfast. I've heard that you're not a fan of not having breakfast. <laughs> Can you clarify, please? Yeah, so I I go with the data and uh, but I go with also hypothesis driven data or, or, or you know, um, science. And so um, and so skipping breakfast, if you look at the epidemiological data over and over and over, uh, people that skip breakfast live shorter, more cardiovascular disease, deaths, et cetera, et cetera. Um, then recently I did a sort of opening article for, for cell metabolism for three, art, for three studies, uh, two studies that were not mine, but then there was a third also. They were looking at um, when you start uh, uh, breakfast, and then uh, metabolism and uh, energy expenditure and all of that. And they showed that it, um, they brought people to the clinic and they gave them exactly the same food. They either gave it to them starting at 8 a.m. or they gave it to them starting at 12 p.m., right? And the ones that started at 12 p.m. had a lower energy expenditure eventually and increased hunger, right? Which may begin to explain why the breakfast keepers in the and these are randomized clinical trials; they are not epidemiological uh, studies. So, but this may start explaining why the epidemiological data is showing this 
worse uh, associations for people that skip breakfast. Um, you know, they may be hung, hung, more hungry all the time and they may end up, uh, um, you know, uh, eating more and, uh, and also burning less uh, calories. If people listening to this want to stave off metabolic disease and they also want to live as long as is possible, what should their diets look like in general terms? And then at what point in their life should they consider looking at longevity? I know you've had uh, you've dealt with some teenagers before and you've you've uh, given them uh, longevity diets. So can you can you give us some details on that? Well, I wrote a book, uh, uh, or I think now translating into English, uh, I wrote it originally in Italian, and it says longevity starts in children. And so we started from the mother, actually. We started from the diet to the mother and showing how important it is, you know, for potentially for the for the lifespan and the health span of, of, the, uh, of the son or daughter. So, yeah, it has to be uh, starting very early. And, um, and I think, you know, some of the key factors um, I, uh, I really am a big fan of, again, of a, a pescatarian diet. So, uh, vegan, um, taking from the five pillars, vegan plus fish, maybe three or four times a week, uh, the fish, low mercury and trying to get the less polluted fish out there. And, um, and then 12 hours time rested the eating, right? So say 9am, 9pm. Uh, well, as you go to 16 hours, you get more benefits metabolically short term, but then again, the epidemiological data, a lot of people that do 16 hours, they may skip breakfast. And now we go back into what we just uh, discussed. And um, and then the three three times a year fasting mimicking diet, you know, some people may need two. But if you look at the, the, the Europe, uh, we're now over 50% overweight and obese. The United States is 72%. So, so yeah, so I think most people... Um, probably need to do it uh, three times a, a year or maybe four or five. Now we've, we've finished, I think, three or four uh, clinical trials on diabetes is working very well. University of Heidelberg um, published uh, the, one of the first study on, on fasting making diet and diabetes and showing some tremendous. And, and it was nice because they did it against the Mediterranean diet. So there was five days a month of Mediterranean diet versus five days a month of the fasting making diet. And the Mediterranean diet did absolutely nothing. And, uh, and the FMD, you see the A1C dropping, you see the insulin resistance dropping, and you see the medication use dropping tremendously. I think that uh, the A1C actually went from 8.1 to 6.7 in a matter of six months, six monthly cycle. So yeah, look, and now I think with the laden trial is not published yet. And we, there's three more trials that I, I have in front of me, but they're not published yet. And so I think uh, I could tell you that, that those are, are confirmed. So yeah, then the fasting making diet, and then um, I think that um, yeah, the exercise, of course, uh, um, is always important. Uh, maybe 150 minutes a week of exercise, and maybe an, an addition to an hour a day of walking. Uh, those are those are my re recommendations. You seem to be a man who has several missions, so one pushing longevity and fighting metabolic disease, which shortens people's lives and incorporating longevity as part of standard health care, but also fighting against all of the misinformation out there and the confusing information at times. Yeah, it's very unfortunate because I think that um, that's, uh, that's doing lots of damage uh, to lots of people. And, um, 
Yeah, and 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 I, I just encourage people to take their time and and finding finding the the experts and the podcast, etc. That uh, they are respectful of uh, you know having a variety of opinions, but making sure that there's there's really a a, a three sixty approach in in looking at everything. So. Um, you know, if you if you are uh, not trained in in in, in longevity and and uh, and some of the the preventive medicine uh, approaches that we're talking about, yeah, it may be difficult to, for some people, even though they may not realize it, right? But there's so many moving parts in uh, in nutrition and longevity uh, that you know if you did not receive the training in that, uh, probably you're gonna get a couple of things right and a couple of things wrong. And uh, yeah, so I just hope that, that again, podcasters and people that listen to them, uh, they, they tend to demand more, uh, all of it, right? I want it all, right? So I, I want the expert, um, but uh, I want also uh, whatever entertainment or whatever else that, that, that this, uh, some of these shows may may provide. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and it should be a multi, based on multi-pillar. That's, that would be one of the first thing I would check, right? So are the people talking, uh, are they just keep, they keep talking about epidemiology or they they are well rounded in putting it all together um, in, in in a multi pillar fashion? It doesn't have to be my pillar, but it certainly has to be. Uh, yes, I understand. You know, for example, you don't want to ignore centenarians as you're making decisions. Like right? people that already lived a hundred years, they did very well, and ignoring that that um, you know um, information will be. Uh, a big uh, a big mistake yeah. if people want to find out more about your own work where can we send them well two places one the longevity diet i i donate 100 percent of the royalties to the to charity and the foundations which is two so createcures.org uh, createcures.org um, is the foundation website so we have clinics in both uh, europe and the united states and um and so those uh uh, now there's, I don't know, maybe like 20 uh, nutrition experts in um, in the four clinics that we have now. We're hoping to reach more places around the world. So if somebody uh, uh, wants to uh, join the the network, uh, um, please contact me, and we'll help. We're happy to uh, to try to set it up. Well, it's important work and uh, really interesting research, and I wish you all the very best with your endeavours. Uh, Dr. Walter Lango, thank you for joining me on the podcast today. Really appreciate thank it. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of the Happy Habit Podcast. If you're enjoying the series, please like, subscribe, share, and do leave the podcast a positive review. It helps us out immensely. And a final reminder, we're over on Instagram and YouTube. If you want to check us out there, just search for the Happy Habit Podcast. Until next time, stay happy. Mm-hmm.